The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Reading four brief texts of scripture for you this morning. I promise you each one is brief. Working backwards in a manner of speaking from 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and then a gospel text and then two from the Old Testament. Trying to trace a case for something God has developed in his word. First, 1 Corinthians 16. Paul writes, now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. This was for an offering for the impoverished Jerusalem church. Now one verse from Matthew. A harsh word, at least it sounds harsh, as Jesus addresses people who are giving to the work of God, but giving in a wrong way. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin. Those are garden herbs. And you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, there'll seem to be a disconnectedness here at first, but I'm going now to the Old Testament to the teaching of God through the life of his servant Abraham in Genesis 14, reading just a few verses, Genesis 14, 17 through 20. Abraham went out on a military mission, and it says, after his return from the defeat of Cater Laomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet Abraham in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And then once more, I'm sure not seeming united in your mind perhaps at the moment, but I hope I can help you there. The very last page of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, a well-known passage teaching on the subject of giving. Malachi 3 verse 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Well, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. 
You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. This is all God's word. I pray he might unite it in our thoughts as we consider it today. Have a little object lesson today. You can probably see from where you are what it is. Recognize it even from a distance. You're looking at the back so you can't see and you couldn't even if you, you're not close enough. But that's Ben Franklin on the front. Four $100 bills. I've got your attention. Four one, by the way, teenagers, I'm not giving away samples after the service. Unless you've had straight A's from kindergarten through senior year and all through college. If you can report to me with that, you can have a sample. Four $100 bills. What I want you to do is think about what $400 could do for good or for ill. It could certainly do a lot of good. You could take $400 and send it to a mercy ministry in the Sudan or in Haiti or someplace like that, and I'm sure scores of people could be fed and nourished and their lives preserved. You could send it to a Bible distributing mission, and I would guess for $400, at least 150 Bibles could probably be printed and distributed to needy people who want to have God's Word. Great things, many others, of course, that you could do. But the point I want to make is that cash is neutral. This has no moral value until it's used. And it can be used in really harmful ways, can't it? I don't know the market prices, but I suppose if I went to the right place, $400 might buy me a handgun that I could have, and if I allowed it with carelessness, could fall into the hands of an angry teenager who'd go and shoot up his school. I also don't know the market for crack cocaine or heroin, but I would guess that $400 could get me some that would feed a life and bring harm to that life. Again, cash is neutral until you use it. And we're thinking over these weeks about how we do use. I'll put this in a safe place so I know where it is afterwards. Um, How we use the money that God allows us to handle, his money, that he makes us stewards to handle and invest. I chose $400 for a reason. Because, as I understand the biblical teaching on the 10% tithe, that would be just about exactly one month's tithe if your income was in the vicinity of $50,000. Now, I know that for Mannheim Township, Pennsylvania, the median income, I've seen this in the paper a few times, is somewhere right now about in fifty six to 58000 a year. Now, right away somebody's saying, oh, I don't make fifty six or 58000 and somebody else is sitting there quietly saying, well, I make three or four times that amount. But that's the median. And so a tithe on that median income would be somewhere in the range of $400 a month. Now you think what God's portion of your income could be doing for great good in his kingdom if you were committed to planned and systematic decisions that became habits in your life. 
and you gave in that way and in that pattern. I say all the time that the last thing I ever want to see or know about any individual is to hold their checkbook in my hand and, and look at it. But, but if I did, and I could take my own and see what it says about me, you would probably agree with me that the ledger of a checkbook is a pretty strong, transparent window into a person's life. It tells a lot about their values. It tells what their priorities are, what their leisure interests are. And it certainly tells something about their habits as a Christian giver. God is interested in what is revealed about us when our heart is fixated on his work and on Jesus Christ as Lord and how that affects what we do with the resources that we have. Now, one of my chief frustrations today are the things that I cannot get into that I hope to follow up with this message in weeks to come. But Today I want to look at the standard that God gives us. You've heard of this before, but to some it's not as familiar, and others need to be reminded. First, I make a quick point from that text of 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and following, from the New Testament church, where we see that Paul was urging the New Testament church to practice habitual percentage giving to the Lord. Now, it doesn't name a percentage, But it does say, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up as he may prosper. Sunday offerings, they were worshiping on the first day of the week, the day of resurrection. And Paul said, it's important that you see an offering to the Lord as a habit, as a a disciplined thing when you come to worship. Spencer Henry referred this morning to praying for missionaries when you brush your teeth. I'll say amen to that good idea. And he said that because he knew that hopefully most of you brush your teeth with some regularity. Maybe somebody doesn't. Maybe somebody needs to be reminded, but most of us know when that should happen, and and we've got a schedule to it. Most of us, you know, take a shower or a bath pretty regularly. Uh, Those who don't are probably already identified by their neighbors sitting near them this morning. But we don't just do those things on a whim, do we? We Brushing your teeth is good for you. Taking a shower is good for you. You do it regularly. Well, Paul was simply saying, giving to the Lord is something that has to be systematic. There should be some habit, some discipline about it, and it should cost something. We go back to First Chronicles. I always remember David buying the land from a farmer that became the Temple Mount in Jerusalem where the temple was built, and he already knew that that's what he intended to do there when he bought this ordinary land. The farmer said, this is the king of Israel. He's going to build a temple. This is a great thing. Here, David, take the land. I'm glad to give it. David said, no, I won't take your land. I must pay for it. I will not dedicate to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Way back there, David was saying, worship involves a cost. And it's not paying dues to a club, and it's not buying a ticket to the Phillies game. It's investing from what God has made available to us, a proportionate amount. You notice what the First Corinthians text said, as each may prosper. There wasn't a one-size-fits-all, you know, everybody pays the same admission price. No. As God may have prospered you, proportioned to you, give on the first day of the week. Well, that's all I wanted to say out of that text. Now, secondly... I go backward in scriptural chronology to Matthew 23, where Jesus is indicting some people he disapproved of, the Pharisees. And you know, of course, he didn't get along well with them, and they represented an externalism, 
of religious practice, doing right things, but doing them often with wrong hearts. Well, they also gave to God's work. And they did something that seemed biblical, but they did it with completely poisoned hearts. They were in there with their garden herbs, which maybe they grew on a two-foot-by-two-foot plot of, let's say, mint plants. You don't, you don't plant acres of mint. You have little, little bitsy plants of it, and a little bit goes a long way. And they were in there with their tweezers. Well, let's see here. We've got a, I count 140 plants. We take out 14 of them and sell those for three cents, and that'll be my tithe on the mint. That's the way they tithe. Exactly what they thought God required and never a half a cent more. And they completely overlooked issues of of justice and mercy and faithfulness to God in their external exacting practices. And Jesus condemned them. He said, I don't want that. My father doesn't want that. But what did he say, though? He said, you should have observed the justice and the mercy and the faithfulness and tithed. If this was a place where Jesus wanted to tell us tithing is part of the Old Testament law and it's no longer here in this age of grace, this is where he would have told us. And he didn't. He said that old practice is still good. It's still right. Do it. But don't do it in the spirit in which you're doing it. Now, people just asked me the other day, we were talking about stewardship, and somebody said, do you... Do you see that tithing is a biblical commandment? I said, no, it's not a commandment. I don't see anywhere that it's a commandment that it ever was. It was indeed a part of the law of Israel, so I guess maybe that qualifies as a commandment, but it didn't originate as a commandment. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But it's a standard. It's a God-ordained standard the way the observing of the Sabbath day is a standard. The Lord says, look, you need worship in your life every week. So take a day, and first of all on that day, honor me. Your first task is to honor me one day in seven as a standard, a principle. Similarly, he says you need regulation of your giving life. So here it is. Early in Scripture, I give you this standard, $1 in 10 is a reasonable standard to honor me. Now let's ask that question. How did this originate? You heard me read from Genesis 14. The first place that we ever hear about a tithe is Genesis 14.1. Strange situation. Abraham had to go bail out his nephew Lot, who was always trying to live too close to the world. And in this case, some wicked kings took Lot and other people captive, all their tents, all their animals and goods that they had, their wives and children, took them all captive. This is the only time Abraham was ever a warrior. And God had him round up all his men. An indication of how wealthy Abraham was was 300 men he could call upon. And he armed them. Off they went. They ambushed the people, brought back Lot and everything that had been captured. Now we broke in on the, the return procession as Abraham meets this strange personality, Melchizedek, who was a king of Salem. That's the same town, same area that later became Jerusalem. But he's not just a king or a governor, he's also a priest. This is the mysterious part. He's called the priest of the Most High God. Now, we wouldn't know what to do with that if it weren't that the book of Hebrews later on in the New Testament looks back at Melchizedek and says, look, this guy is a wonderful symbol. 
he actually symbolizes Jesus Christ. He's not Jesus Christ. He symbolizes Jesus Christ. And here he was in that ancient time before there was a tabernacle or a temple. He was a priest offering thanks and worship to the true God. Abraham saw this man, recognized who he was, had all this wealth he had captured from these fellows that he'd gone out and raided. And he, he spontaneously, without any law book in his hand, gave a tenth. Why? It was a thank offering to God, the God that Melchizedek led others to worship. Now, later on, indeed, the tithe did become a principle of the law of Moses. Leviticus 27, for example, would tell you this, a tithe of everything from the Lord, whether grain from the soil, fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord, dedicated to the Lord, you see. It's not yours, it's the Lord's. The entire tithe of every herd and flock belongs to the Lord. That was law, and so it was practiced as law until people, of course, felt oppressed by it. They felt taxed by it. Well, if we were to practice tithing today, what purposes might God be fulfilling or bringing to pass in our lives as we did that? I can actually think of a long list, but I kept it to about a half a dozen quick ones. Here's some things that our purposes tithing will serve. Number one, it becomes a consistent, practical, and somewhat sacrificial way of believers being reminded of God's true ownership of everything. The physical act of saying one-tenth is the Lord's, that is the first fruit is the Lord's, some people say the, the first slice of the loaf, and putting that in the Lord's hands for his service is a sort of laying down of your life in a costly way. It's real-life worship in the realm of things that we understand and prize. Money, salaries, possessions. And it tends, once we've invested it and seen it work, to make us thankful and make us dependent on the Lord. Another thing it does is to break that grip of covetousness and greed and our own lustful desires after glittering new cars or whatever it is that you consider a material want. I've got to have that. Oh, and I can only afford that. It makes you evaluate those things and put the Lord's work first of all. Then, too, it's a supply system for mercy to the poor and outreach with the gospel. Constantly, the Bible tells us, be aware of the poor, be aware of the broken and needy person. Seek to meet their needs as you can. And when we tithe, that's one way we can do that as a church. Furthermore, systematic tithing of God's people supports the work of ministry and the ministry of the word and worship. You see that in the Old Testament, the Levitical priests were supported by the people's tithes. And there seems to be a pattern that the New Testament argues for the same today, that those who would have the advantage of giving full attention to preaching and teaching the word would be supported by the gifts of the people. Galatians 6.6, 6, 1 Timothy 5.17 and following, if you want to see those kinds of arguments. But then on a practical level, just down to earth with every individual, I find the tithing is, it's a big enough share of what I handle, not too big, but big enough that giving it to the Lord tends to force me or press me into better budgeting practices with the rest. Quite honestly, I would, I would have to estimate, I'm not an economist, I'm not a financial advisor, but I 
just know myself and I know people like me. We would probably tend to easily waste, that is, use in poor ways, at least 10% of the money that passes through our hands. Impulse buys, things we don't need, purchases we regret later, harmful habits, bad debts, all kinds of ways that we waste. If you don't think you waste 10%, let me tell you, you're a pretty exceptional person. You must really have your money under control. So we waste at least as much as what God asks us to give. Now, the question comes, of course, does God still value the tithe today? Is there anything that could tell us this that's beyond the Old Testament law? Well, we look to this chapter of Malachi 3 that bridges from Old Testament into New and see what it says. And and as you know, it says some pretty sharp things. Here are people Malachi was addressing as prophet who were upset. At least they were grumbling. God never blesses me. How come God doesn't bless me? And Malachi said, you want to know? I don't think you really want to know, but I'll tell you why God doesn't bless you. Because you have abandoned the Lord. Because you're even robbing the Lord. What? Not me. What are you talking about? Well, Malachi said, just examine. This age-old principle, this standard, this yardstick that God has given you of the tithe belonging to him. Are you giving it to him? And he didn't really wait for them to answer and said, God's not blessing you because you're not invested. Your heart is not invested in his work. Your worship doesn't cost you anything, and yet you have open hands and grasping hands, and you think God is, gimme, gimme, gimme. He's supposed to supply for you. Now, this isn't the most popular sermon, is it? I'm well aware that when this subject is addressed, there are people that You know, there's kind of like a steel fire door that goes, clang. Okay, I've had 42 tithing sermons in my Christian life, and I'm sick of them. I'm shutting it off. I don't want to hear it. If that's actually going on in your head, you need to ask yourself what that says about you. Is that saying that you think the Word of God is wrong when it sets this standard up and and sets it up from Genesis and Malachi and Matthew? that here's a standard, an easy-to-add or, or multiply or divide standard of 10. We can mostly work by 10 without a lot of difficulty. I wish tips were 10%. You know, that would be real easy. I always have to go 10% and then half of that and figure out the tip. You know, some people think they're giving God a tip. They think that's what the offering plate is. Oh, God's been giving me good service lately. Maybe I'll Give him a really nice tip today. Oh, he hasn't been very kind to me lately. Just forget it, God. I'm not tipping you. When people say, Pastor, you don't understand. You can stand in your tall pulpit and preach this, but you just don't understand me. You don't know my bills. You don't understand my needs. You don't understand my children, their, their education, my parents, and all the things I have to. I say, wait a minute. Are you willing to, you don't have to tell me, but are you willing to look at yourself and really ask yourself, why would it be that you would fight God on a standard that he would give you like this? It, it could be that you're not a born-again believer at all. Well, I would never try to convince someone not born again to tithe. That would be ridiculous. That would be like saying, take a rock and squeeze blood out of it. 
Why should that person tithe? He doesn't look to God as Lord. He doesn't believe the authority of God's word. I'm talking about people whose hearts supposedly belong to Christ. Why wouldn't they obey God? Why would they shut down on this? Well, selfishness, bad budgeting that's got them in all kinds of trouble, or simply lack of commitment and saying I can separate my finances from my Christian spiritual life. You know, there may be the very few people, I would certainly think those that have had long-term unemployment or have had some real crises in their life, there would be circumstances indeed where a tithe would be very hard and maybe even impossible for a time in somebody's life. But I just don't believe it's impossible for very many of us. Let me ask you this. If you imagined yourself working for a large corporation and you, you know, times were lean, the corporation was going through tough times and the CEO issued a decree. Look, folks, we don't want to lay anybody off. We're really trying not to do this. Therefore, everybody in the whole company, 1,000 employees, takes a 10% wage cut. Now, I hope you would say, I'm grateful I still have a job. And you'd say, oh, 10% less coming in? Ooh, that's going to be tough. But let me ask you, do you really think you would die from a 10% cut? You wouldn't. I guarantee you wouldn't. You'd find a way to adjust. You'd say, well, it's going to be tight, but I've got to do something different over here, spend less there, or whatever. You'd survive. God's tithe is only an unreasonable standard when we've let everything else somehow get out of balance. I often tell new members class this true story in my own life. My, my argument with God over tithing. I was probably 22 or 23 years old. I was in seminary. I believe uh, in round numbers, we probably made about $4,000 that year in the early 70s. Now, some of you young, young adults just think that's out of the question. How do you live on? Well, I had a Volkswagen and I could fill the tank for $3 a week. Life was good. You could buy enough groceries for a family of four for about 50 bucks. You could live very differently. But I sure didn't have a lot of cash laying around. And I had this discussion with God. I said, God, look, I, I know you've got this tithing thing in the Bible. Uh, it rubs me the wrong way, God. Now, I want to tell you, I'm dedicating my life. I'm going to be a pastor or a theology teacher or something. I'm going to serve you with my life. You've got me, Lord. And what I'm going to do is not going to be that highly paid for most of my existence. And so I'm going to probably tell people that you say they should tithe, but you don't expect me to do it, do you? Silence from heaven. No answer. God, did you hear me tune in on that? You don't expect the minister to tithe, do you? Silence from heaven. And I got the point. God was saying, I've already spoken on that subject. Why are you challenging me on something I've already told you? And when we were 22, 23 years old, we said, we have to do this. And it's not going to be an arduous thing. If we start doing it now, as we earn more, we'll just continue doing. That's what we've been doing for a long time. And we've never starved because we've tithed. In fact, I've never known anybody who's tithed who later said, I sure regret that I began doing that. Now, every Gallup poll or every poll of any kind that, that surveys giving of Christians will tell you this. 
Maybe some of you know this already. Others don't. They go out there and they survey the evangelicals. These are the folks who say, the Bible is the word of God. I believe the Bible. And I think I should practice the Bible. All right? These are not the liberal churches. Those who believe the Bible, what do you think the average percentage of household giving is to the cause of the Lord? It's not 10. And it's not 8 or 7 or 6 or 5 or 4 or even 3. It's 2.6. Those are the evangelicals, folks. There's some really big disjuncture between what people say they believe and what they do. Now, quite honestly, I would believe this congregation is way above 2.6 on average. But nevertheless, it really comes down to each of us individually. Does God teach this? Is this a guideline? Is this a benchmark that he's given us or not? Notice in talking about the tithe in Malachi 3.6, this emphasis, I, the Lord, do not change. I don't say something one day and say, okay, it's different now. Or, okay, that was law, and now you're in grace. No, I've taught you. Here's a guideline. It will actually be good for you. In fact, the Lord says, I'll put, put me to the test here. Just begin to obey me. And see if your sense of how I bless you doesn't change in a radical manner. Now, I know the health and wealth preachers on TV is, oh, okay, here it is, right here. Let me quote you Malachi 3.10. Okay, folks, send me $1,000 and God will send you 50000 No, of course, that's dumb. This doesn't teach that. And it doesn't say you'll get rich by tithing either. It says God will bless you. He'll bless you with a sense of sufficiency and balance and control in your life. Now, some people have got homework to do. Some people have got adjusting to do if this is what you want to begin obeying. Some people, I don't know who you are. This isn't aimed at any individual. Some people are drowning in credit card debt. Our society does an awful thing to young adults these days. Going to college, here, have a credit card. Have two or three more. Fill them up. Figure out after you, you're up to 50000 what you're going to do about that. It's one of the most destructive things our society makes available. You may need to make some serious decisions about how to readjust, how to get things under control. You can do it, but it takes work. We have advisors. We'll be glad to have someone talk with you in our congregation who'd sit down with you and say, let me help you budget. Little commercial. We have this program called Financial Peace University that has helped people wonderfully in this church as we've been through it several times. We're going to offer it again in the fall. You need to learn. You need to develop habits. You need to begin some discipline. Nobody is born a tither. But it's part of the new birth of Jesus Christ, the new character, the new desires, the new control that he puts in our lives. I challenge you to think about this. Maybe there needs to be a husband and wife discussion. You know, Maybe you've always just looked past each other on this and never really even talked about it very much. God has a standard, and it's a standard by which he will bless you. Tell him you want to get in that stream of blessing and discipline and joy. I'm going to talk about the joy of it. You may think this is all law. There's joy to come. We're going to talk about that next week. But tell the Lord you want to move ahead 
and build a worship habit that involves those things that are costly in your life and begin to bring the whole tithe into his storehouse. He will bless you. Our Father, I ask that you might help us. Some people here have let things get out of control. And they would hide that and be ashamed of it and be guilty about it. But you understand what we're like. And you will help us when we're determined to do things your way. I pray you'd give that strength of will and purpose for changes to be made. But above all else, I pray that your grace and your joy might be discovered when we handle even our finances your way. For Jesus' sake, amen.